I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. This episode, I want to talk about Lee Daniels, the United States versus Billie Holiday. I think I've shared this story before. Um, when I first moved to Baltimore, I wanted to fully immerse myself in the culture. I wanted to go where the cultural landmarks were. I wanted to see the old architecture. I wanted to kind of just experience the place. Um, I think my only introduction to Baltimore was or the only things that I saw that I've seen about Baltimore was number one, the uh, Night of the Ratchet, which I did an episode about that. But anyway, um, the Night of the Ratchet, the Bill Cosby uh, episode, where uh, 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 Claire said uh, to um, Vanessa, the the big fun comment. You know what I mean? I don't, I'm gonna mess it up, but like she when she went to Baltimore, she wanted to have big fun. Anyway, find that episode. It's on YouTube somewhere. Um, Anyway, so yeah, so it was that episode where she went to Baltimore. That's how um, Claire used to say it. Um, And then, uh, well, two other places, which aren't great. Oh, three. No, no. Was it The Rock? Charles S. Dutton's The Rock. I think that was based in Baltimore. Um, And then... What was the, it was another film. It wasn't The Wire. I, of course, I, I watched The Wire. But what was, it was a, I think it was a Charles S. Dutton documentary. It was like a, no, it was not, it wasn't a documentary. It was a real scripted show. But some of the real life characters played in as, as like bit characters in the um, show, ooh, the corner, the corner, the corner. So though outside, but 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 trip on that. Like the three things that I just mentioned were what all bad <laughs> because the the uh, the night of the ratchet. Um, uh, Denise, not Denise, Vanessa, uh, Vanessa and her friend, they, the car got stolen in Delaware and they ended up in Baltimore, but they were calling from some rundown little place actually looked like, um, oh, there's this, <laughs> there's this hipster. Well, there was this hipster, um, place where they did shows. Oh, what was it called? Was it called the Octagon? No, it was off, it was off, uh, not Charles. It was off, um, Mar- no, not Maryland, Howard Street. It was off Howard before, if you're from Baltimore, then you know what I'm talking about. But if you're not, you have no clue what I'm saying, but I got to get it out anyway. So it was on Maryland right before 25th Street, not Maryland, Howard, North Howard, right before the gas station on 20 and, and the intersection at 25th. Um, and it was, if you're going towards Hopkins, uh, university is on your right. And if you're going, uh, towards, um, towards the, the symphony, it's, um, you know, in Mount Royal and all of them, it's, it's on your left. And anyway, whatever that club was called, cause I went there a couple of times, 
I went there a couple of times. I remember I went there um, in 2008 uh, on election night with one of my friends from Chicago who came into town and that was a weird outing. But anyway, um, no, not 2008. Was it 2012? Can't call it anyway, but I just remember going there. Anyhow, um, but so this, this, this little club reminded me of um, that little space uh, where Denise was um, uh, at the payphone. Anyway, it's like on the outside a little bit. It reminds you of like a dirty little dingy little hipster dive of a place. But anyway, um, yeah, but like everything. And I, and this is no diss to, to Charles S. Dutton because he was telling real stories. Unfortunately, that is what people think Baltimore is now. And because Baltimore is not like any other city across any midsize city across the country. Who's, it, it's been devastated by drugs like the rest of them. I think the only thing that adds to it is the fact that it's been devastated by drugs. There's extreme wealth and extreme poverty here. Um, Yeah, there's extreme wealth and extreme poverty here. Um, And it's a sea town, which makes it a little bit unusual. So it's like, yeah, there's just a lot of commerce, but a lot of poverty, actually, at the end of the day. Yeah. And so a lot, but, but because of the media... Well, no, not even that, because those were three instances that that portrayed Baltimore in a in a gritty light. Well, no, four homicide life on the street, dag on it. Um, anyway, but outside of that, like all these movies, they shoot all of these movies here. Like they stay shooting movies here, in and around Baltimore, stay shooting movies here. And what sticks is the the. You know, you you look at uh, some cities that have been mis or not some cities, but some neighborhoods that have been mismanaged by leadership. And let's be real. The leadership here is responsible um, for the state of some of these neighborhoods and the fact that they still ain't figured out a way to bring jobs or at least access to jobs in the community. And also Governor Hogan, who is a punk, if I'm being honest, this let me just pause real quick. Can I just tell you, in the state of Maryland, everybody was hyping up, you know, Governor Hogan like he was that deal. I'm very frustrated at for at Governor Hogan right now because I'm curious as to why the southern Southern Maryland counties and, and over by the uh, over um, by um, Ocean City which is in the southern southernmost point in Maryland and in the western, so eastern shore, basically call it the eastern shore because um, that's what they call it, even though it's like the southern, southeastern point, they just call it eastern shore. And, and to the west, up in the mountains, they all have the vaccine and tons of people are, are getting it and things like that, right? Here in Baltimore, and in um, Montgomery County, Howard County, Baltimore County, which is outside of Baltimore City, um, struggling. But I'm really focusing on Baltimore. Baltimore is struggling to get vaccines. People, I know teachers that need it and can't get it. Can't go back to school until they get it. 
and th- there's places that have shortages of, of uh, vaccines. And then governor going to get on uh, TV talking about Baltimore has more than their fair share. What the heck do that mean? More than their fair share? I have no teacher. What are you talking about? We clearly don't have enough. Dog whistles is what it is. He, he running for, um, he's running for um, president at some point. I, and I hope, whatever, I'm, no, more t- no more politics. But like, I hope people see right through it. Um, and he goes nowhere because you're not fooling. You're not fooling me. And I knew it was too good to be true. I knew it was too good to be true. Oh, I knew it was too good to be true. But you know what? We shouldn't have, we should have known. We should have been new because all of those masks that came from uh, South Korea and a whole plane full of them, we used nary one mask, not one. So anyway, but we sure did lay somebody pocket though, didn't we? Anyway, but getting back to it. So Baltimore, Baltimore, Baltimore. So Baltimore was not, has, was devastated ravaged by drugs and violence just like any other city in the United States it's just it's easy to pick on Baltimore it's easy to pick on Baltimore because I don't know it's just easy but if you come here you understand that there's a whole lot of layers and complexities to this thing whole lot like I said there's extreme wealth and extreme poverty here extreme there is a neighborhood called um oh what is it called it's not Roland Park Oh, I cannot call it. Guilt, no, Guilford upon anyone. Is it Guilford? No, it's not Guilford. It is Guilford. Guilford community is gated. Guilford community, you buy, you know, you have a homeowners association and y'all buy, y'all pay for security. Guilford has lobbied the city and they have whole streets. And I've shared this before, but I'll get through it. They've, they've set up whole streets that if you don't know what you're doing, they will, Automat- you'll get turned around and you'll ultimately get dumped out of the community. You got to know where you you got to know what you're doing when you're in Guilford. Um, it's not the right community. It's right just just north, just north of Hopkins campus. I think that's yeah, just like kind of north north northeast of the campus. It's not Oakenshaw. Anyway, that community it's. Wild, and the thing, about, the reason why I'm bringing it up is because you have this community which is gated, and you have to know what you're doing to get into it. Um, and right next to it is extreme poverty in the edges of um, what is that? Not Charles Village. Charles Village is south of that, but there's a, what's the community I'm thinking of? Oh, I can't call the community, but it's extreme. It's extreme poverty, like a street over. And I remember Kansas City being like that. Kansas City is like that. And if I'm honest, I remember when I went to go see, when I went to Chicago, Chicago and places are like that. You know, like it's not, that's how it is. Blame redlining for one. And then other things that aren't necessarily redlining, but ended up restricting people to live in certain communities. So anyway, Baltimore just gets a bad rap, but we're not, too different as a city. We're not too different than mid-sized cities or urban cities across the country. But anyway, so I, in making sure that I got a fuller picture of Baltimore, everybody that I talked to that I worked with and that I was becoming acquainted with told me to kind of egg me on in my quest to learn more about the city, like really understand the city. That's where 
I found out that every every April, pre-COVID, they, um, there's a privateer day um, hosted in Fells Point where they reenact pirate ship battles against, uh, you know, just pirates fighting, I guess, the police at the time in their boat. I don't know if it was the police, but it basically just lawmen. And it's, you know, at the time, folks were dressed like Jack Sparrow. They probably would be. Like, when we all, when we get back in person, they'll probably still be dressing like Jack uh, Sparrow. Um, from Pirates of the Caribbean and all of that stuff. But it was fun. It was little stuff like that. You you don't see that. You don't, you don't know little stuff like that. Hunfest um, in Hamden, even though Hamden's got its fair share of racist backward people but nevertheless Hunfest is fun and all the festivals don't get me started I'm about to get real nostalgic but anyway so I would go out and I would look at different things go to different festivals and I remember my husband who was my boyfriend at the time lived over west as he say he lived over west and anyway um he lived off Lafayette not Lafayette Square well no he lived off Lafayette Square um actually a little bit further down um, it was a little sketchy at the time where uh, he lived. I don't know if it's sketchy still, but it's definitely a little sketchy. Anyway, and I can remember that when I was when we were dating, um, and I would go see him. I remember that the Royal Theater was at the corner, or it, the building was before I got here. I think they had just de- demolished it before I got to Baltimore. Um, but it was at the corner of Fayette and Pennsylvania Avenue and Pennsylvania Avenue, um, between, between MLK and Gwen Falls, maybe not that far up, maybe MLK and Northern North Avenue was like the hot spot back in the forties and fifties. Like that was, that was a stop on the Chitlin circuit. There was like so many different social clubs, so many different hot spots and happening things, right? A lot, that was where um, black folks were redlined to. Um, you know, it was one of the neighborhoods where they could, they could live, like GIs coming back from the war, they could live there um, and buy homes and, and, and people could open up shops and things like that. And so I know there are efforts to revitalize it now, but when I first moved here, it was, you know, they were not able to save the, um, the theater. And so I don't remember quite when, but I definitely, I was here. I was living in Baltimore when they, was I living in Baltimore when they, I think I was living here in Baltimore when they erected the statue at the corner of Lafayette and, um, Lafayette and um, Pennsylvania of Billie Holiday. And it was supposed to be symbolic of the the Royal Theater was where she had performed in Baltimore. And the it was like catty corner from where she had performed and also at the corner of one of the places where she lived. Um, and it's a statue of her singing with the flowers in her hair, you know how the iconic images that you see of, of her. Um, And so, and that's when I first learned that Billie Holiday was born here. She lived, well, she lived here for a while. She was born and lived here, well, raised a little bit here. 
in Baltimore. And then I started to realize that all of these great jazz musicians and, and just great black figures um, were born right here in Baltimore. I learned, Thur- you know, Thurgood Marshall, um, uh, Cab Calloway, Ubi um, Blake, um, Ella Fitzgerald. Um, I, it just, the list keeps going. It just keeps going. Actually, if you Google it, you'll find all the famous people that are from Baltimore, specifically the famous black people from Baltimore. And I just didn't realize how rich the history was. Um, fun fact, I went to the UB Blake, the UB Blake, Google UB Blake. UB Blake was a big deal. And I'm not imagining this. And I think I might've talked about this a year, a couple of years ago, and maybe I didn't think it was weird at the time, but I'm definitely thinking it's weird now. They preserved UB Blake's hands. There's like a, either a mock-up of his hands or his actual preserved hands. I need to look that up because I don't know why that thought popped up in there, but I think I was just, I was, I went there for Kwanzaa, one of the, um, on one of the night, the principles of Kwanzaa. And I think I was just taking in the whole scene and then I saw that and then I just didn't know where to put it. They put the information, so I just filed it away. But I'm pretty sure it was his hands, like his actual hands, which is creepy. But he was a pianist, so anyway. So anyway, um, yeah, but I remember not knowing, going back to Billy Holiday, I remember not knowing what to do with the information about knowing that she was from Baltimore. And knowing that... Like, I knew she was from Baltimore, and then I knew she went away and she got big. And then I knew that she died kind of tragically, but I didn't understand the extent of her, of the tragedy in her life. And then I listened to, um, what's that, what's that podcast with Rumteen Arab Louie? And I always mess up her name. Rund and Rumteen. I'll just go with their first names. Rum, Rund and Run, Rumteen. Um, through line, through line. Anyway, I listened to the episode entitled The United States versus Billie Holiday, and it gave me an even deeper backstory. And I know I've talked about Baltimore's underbelly, um, even before it got the bad rap that it has now. Um, and has had for a while, it had an even worse rap or probably the same type of rap in the 20s and 30s, but for different reasons, right? So one thing about Baltimore, it's a it's a port city. So the Navy docks here and everything because it's deep enough. The harbor is deep enough and, and all of that stuff. Lots of goods, lots of people coming in um, off ships and coming in to the city. And so there's always been a lot of transit like transient culture here, right? And so, you know, you get all the trappings of people far from home, you know, you want you want your vices. And so a vice that everybody is familiar with is prostitution. Um, and I think I have shared before that, you know, everybody's familiar with how poorly we treated 
folks who were living with a mental health condition right up until the 80s or the late 70s, 80s, when we just closed down a lot of uh, uh, institutions and we didn't provide any support for them at all. So we went from locking people away and and treating them like animals for the most part, but uh, housing them somewhere and giving them food and clothing and shelter to just not caring for them much at all. And now we're here in a place where we're a little bit better, but it's still not, I mean, we're better, but there's a lot of improvement still that needs to take place. And so what we know is that Baltimore did not have a great history in in treating their folks living with a mental health condition well. And so what we know is that even in the institutions, and I've talked, I talked about, uh, there's an episode that I did. I can't remember the name of the episode. Oh my goodness. I cannot remember the name of the episode, but it'll be apparent. It's like the name of a hospital or the na- not a hospital, but the name of a care facility. I cannot call it, but if you go back through the, my, um, my show, uh, list, you'll see it. It was like two years ago. Um, I might've done it in May. I might, it might've been like April, May time frame. Um, so look, look in that time frame. But um, there was a there was a particular institution that was housed in Catonsville where it was alleged, and I actually think it was proven, that some of the staff would essentially pimp out some of the folks whose family had had stopped seeing them, who had waved out, who'd waved seeing their family members, pimp them out to be like housemaids and stuff for the rich. <clears throat> and then some, excuse me, some were um, unfortunately treated so poorly that they fell into prostitution. Not fell into, they were put into prostitution. That's how folks thought it was, it was, it was cool to treat people with intellectual disabilities that way. And that's, these are real life cases. Go, uh, uh, you can Google it actually. It's not Glenmore. What shucks? I forgot the name of it. But if you, if you go on my, um, if you look through my list, uh, my episode list, you'll see it. It'll be apparent to you. But anyway, um, so what, I guess what I'm saying is the vice of prostitution um, in, in, and not in the way that it's empowering, literally the way that, that women are used, you know, pimped out basically, um, was alive and well. I mean, we had all whole alleys here. We had whole sectors here in Baltimore and still do in, in some aspects, um, to this day. Um, and so it does not, it did not surprise me, although it hurt my feelings, to learn that Billie Holiday was um, I don't want to say that she fell into the lifestyle because that's not true long story short and I will talk more about this actually I'll talk about it now and then I'll just breeze over it when I go to the movie and I'm getting there in a minute just let me get this out so what we know what about Billie Holiday's tragic life is that she lived here in Baltimore and she had it rough in Baltimore. So much so that, if I'm telling the story correctly, she was essentially pimped out by her mother and the movie doesn't quite go so far. Like they say the words, 
But the story is that she was pimped out. And when she didn't want to go far enough, she was basically, she was essentially taken advantage of. And that's as far as I'm going to go, right? That's as far as I'm going to explain. But was caught by the vice squad, essentially. And she was charged with prostitution, even though she was taken advantage of. It was not her choice to engage in those acts. She was charged with prostitution. She went into the juvenile justice system. And that's, the, that's an aspect of her trauma. And this happened to her when she was like 12 or 13. They caught her engaged with an older man who was taking advantage of her and they charged her with prostitution. A minor. You can't charge a minor for prostitution. They did, but a minor can't give consent. That's it. That's the end of the story. A minor can't give consent. But anyway, they... But but see, but that's an example of how you know, even to this day, black kids are treated differently than non-black kids. Or at the very least, white kids, right? And so doubly so back then that she would seem like a burden. She'd be treated, she'd be treated like a promiscuous child who was acting too grown and knew what she was doing. And so that's the real. That's what really happened. The movie kind of glosses over it. Like, it goes there, but it doesn't really go there. And I don't think you need to see abuse on screen. But it didn't tell the story quite correctly. She was taken advantage of. She was victimized. And then she went to jail. That's the other thing that I don't think I caught this in the movie. She actually went to jail as a child off that behind that behind being victimized and so there starts the beginning of like a traumatic experience throughout her life and she had a lot of humps along you know a lot of bumps along the way um and so anyway and I learned I learned the story that this movie tells and again the movie is the same is is this has the same title the United States versus Billie Holiday and so I have a lot of feelings about the movie. I was compelled to watch the movie because, I mean, Billy from Baltimore. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta watch this. I gotta see, I gotta see how it plays out because there's the Baltimore connection. I have a lot of feelings about it, though. Um, a lot of feelings about it, and I'll talk about it. But first, what I'll do is the thing that I always do, um, which is I'll talk about the particulars. And then I think I won't bore you to tears in terms of giving you the blow by blow. Like everyone knows for the most part, many many people know how Billie Holiday got to the, like what happened at the end. But there's some places where the movie really doesn't go far enough, doesn't really explain to you what's happening. And so what I think what I'm going to do is kind of go through the timeline a little bit, but I'm going to kind of give more information behind certain things that happened in um, certain key moments in the film. So um, hopefully that'll make it a little bit more interesting than just giving you a blow by blow of it. Because I will say, I will say now that I did not hate the movie, 
but I have a lot of feelings about it. So anyway, in the next segment, it's all about the particulars and then going through and giving more context to key scenes in the film. All right, so stay tuned. Okay, so let me get into the particulars of this bad boy. So um, the United States versus Billie Holiday was released, girl, when the heck, oh, um, March 18th. So what? I'm saying March 18th. This was released on, I don't know why it said March 18th, 2021. Um, This was released last week. I I watched this last Friday um, on on Hulu. So, because like everybody was talking about it. Anyway, and it... Um, I've had a chance from the, from the time that I'm recording this to when I watched it has been a couple of days and I've been like super busy doing a number of different things. So I've had time for this thing to marinate a little bit. And so anyway, um, I feel good about kind of some things settling, but the reason why I'm bringing that up is because I, I hadn't until this moment looked at the ratings for this thing. And the ratings are interesting and I don't 100% agree, but I'll go into it. So right now, IMDb has this thing at 6.4 out of 10. Um, Rotten Tomatoes has it 56% fresh. Metacritic is at um, 54. And right now there are no Google, there are no Google ratings. This thing was directed by Lee Daniels, is based on Chasing the Scream, The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs by John uh, Harry, Harry, Mm. Screenplay by Suzanne Laurie Parks. Producers are a bunch of people, including Lee Daniels. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. My initial, I initially, when I had heard that it was a Lee Daniels production, I was a little concerned um, because first off, I really didn't want to support him because I feel like he's a little bit shady as a business person. Um, and then just you know, the conversation that how he did, um, Monique, the run-in that he had with, uh, what's his name, Dame Dash and not paying him back for all those years. And just some of the portrayals that he chooses to put on screen in the fullness of time, things like Precious don't really sit the same way. Don't, how about this? I will speak for myself. I don't know about you, but Precious does not hit me the same way and in fact I think I am that hurts me every time I watch that movie and I don't know because I'm dealing with trauma just in general and we're kind of always all of us are in a perpetual state of emergency or and and so things just I, I have a lower tolerance for trauma on TV or what I don't know what it is but it's just that that movie does not sit well with me and in fact I'm a little bit ashamed that even in the White House we were telling everybody to watch this thing and and the underpinning of it was oh you know literacy is important and let's make sure we protect our kids while we watch trauma about trauma being inflicted on a child so anyway so Lee Daniels, it gave me pause. I actually enjoyed, <sighs> enjoyed is a strong term because what we know is that Billie Holiday's life was full of trauma. 
but I guess I think I appreciated us seeing the fact that she was dogged by a lot of people in her life. And I don't know that we've ever really talked about that. I also appreciate the fact that this film kind of paints the true picture of what the government was doing, how the government targeted her. And I'll go into that later. But anyway, I still side Eileen Daniels, but I do appreciate this film. So it stars Audra Day as Billie Holiday. Um, she, did, she did all right. Um, Travante Rhodes as Jimmy Fletcher. Travante Rhodes is just Rhodes. Uh, girl, I can't even say his last name right. I'm too busy looking. Um, <laughs> Travante Rhodes, it plays, um, I got FBI agent Jimmy Fletcher. Uh, Natasha Leone is in here as Tallulah Bankhead, which there's a whole queer side story here. And I'll come back to that. Garrett uh, Headland, I think that's how you say his last name, is Harry Anslinger, who is the government man that went after her, that that used, basically used Billie Holiday as an example, made an example out of her. Um, There's another queer element here in Miss Lawrence as Miss Freddie. Um, who I think was um, Billy's stylist, something. I really don't know the relation there, but definitely it was something like a stylist. Um, And Divine Joy Randolph was something like her sister, a very close confidant. Played, uh, I'm sorry, Divine Joy Randolph played Rosalind, who was like her very uh, good uh, homegirl. And the last person I want to talk about is Taylor James Williams, who was from Everybody Hates Chris and all of that stuff, who's grown up quite well and looking quite handsome. Um, anyway, he plays Lester Young. And if you know anything about me, if you've, or if not anything about me, if you've listened to the show, I told you that I enjoy jazz. Um, one of my favorite uh, musicians is Sun Ra and Pharrell Sanders, but I also do enjoy Lester uh, Young, specifically Round About Midnight and I just enjoy Lester Young and so that he was portrayed in here and 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 then I, I learned more about who he played with. I didn't know he played with Billy. I didn't know that. I I don't know I I got to understand Lester Young separate. Yeah, I just I didn't I didn't realize. I didn't realize that they were connected. Anyway, um so yeah, so so that's the cast. So let me tell you what, I already kind of started on what I like and what I don't like. So let me just get it, let me just get it fully out before I move on to kind of talking more about the context to certain things were happening in the story. And then actually not only adding context, but then posing questions to certain other things that certain things that happened into the story. Because again, everybody knows how the story ends, but there are pieces in here that are a little unknown. Um, and while I am familiar with many parts of the story, there's one aspect of it that I wasn't too sure with. Um, and so I'll circle back around to that. But um, so what I liked, what I liked is that this told a fuller picture of Billie Holiday. Um, more of her than what we've known. I don't think, like, I know we've had uh, Lady Sings the Blues and I've, I'm showing my ignorance here a little bit because I know the story has been told, 
but I don't remember much of that movie, to be honest with you. And I've watched it several times, but I just don't know much about that movie. And perhaps if I watch Lady Sings the Blues, which starred Billy D. Williams, and I think Billy D. Williams played uh, Jimmy Fletcher, and um, oh, Billy D. Williams played Jimmy Fletcher, and who was the guy that was giving? I think Melvin, is it Melvin Gregg that was playing Jimmy? Daggone it. I can't remember. Shucks. Hold on. Let me see if I I can get his picture. Yay. I played Jimmy. Okay. So, so Billy D. Williams played, um, forget what I just said a minute ago. Billy, Billy D. Williams played Jimmy Fletcher, who's played by Trevante Rhodes right now. And, um... Melvin Gregg plays Joe Guy, who was played by, I think was played by Richard Pryor in Lady Sings the Blues. Um, And then, of course, Billy herself was played by Diana Ross, if I'm not mistaken. And so I know that that movie was done. I remember feeling that that movie, I I was so sad for Billy in that moment, but I think I just didn't enjoy the movie. I think I couldn't wrap my head around it because the acting was weird. To me, to my young mind, the acting was weird. And to be honest with you, I haven't revisited that movie. I, I haven't revisited since the last time I watched it. And I think I've only watched it like twice. So I wonder if in watching that movie, the same details are in, the same details that are in this, um, the United States versus Billie Holiday are in that film. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking not, but maybe. Anyway, um, so I enjoy the fact that there, it's like a full picture of her story. Um, and all the, uh, I guess it's like a full picture of her story in the very, like when she was famous. Um, but then also that it has a nod back to some of the traumas that she dealt with that got her to where she, why she responds the way she does to certain situations now as an adult I enjoyed I enjoy okay let me just keep talking about the positive um Audra Day is a singer and while I was at first I was taken uh, taken aback by her the affect that she put on in the voice and the raspiness of her voice I went back and I listened to um recordings of Billie Holiday and I mean she did kind of yeah, I think I think she did a decent job. Um I appreciate um I really appreciate Lester Young being in there with his pork pie hat. Um I also appreciate the culture of kind of the under, uh, kind of how they showed musicians. Um not that all musicians, all jazz musicians were just laid up getting high and wasted. But I did appreciate seeing her backstage and knowing that it wasn't just Billy, it was a part of this culture that these jazz musicians created. Now, what we didn't get to understand is that there's a, ra- there's a reason why these folks chose drugs. So in a sense, it kind of glorified it, but not really because the whole thing was about the fact that Billy was being persecuted because she was an addict. Um, but anyway, I, I appreciated seeing 
the fact that it wasn't just Billy deciding to make these choices. It was people in her corner were enabling her. And that is so important that we don't forget that when people have issues with, when they struggle with addiction, it is not a singular event or not a singular event. It's not a solo, uh, what is it? It's not a victimless sort of, sort of not victimless. It's not just them. It's, it's the people who enable them to do those things. It's, it's the people who are doing it with them. Um, yeah, it's, it's, everybody's kind of complicit, but then if you even peel back, if you peel the layers back, you know that it's the people who allow drugs to get in our midst um, who are also complicit in this too. It's the system that doesn't, that criminalizes drug use or definitely criminalized, well, it still does criminalize drug use, um, that is complicit in this whole vicious cycle that um, instead of rehabilitation and constant support and safe use spaces, which is something that's in fashion now here in Baltimore, but not necessarily widely known across the globe, we like to punish folks. Um, so I, I did appreciate that, that, that those raw scenes were there. I wish there were deeper conversations as to why these musicians turned to vice to, um, or illicit drugs to be able to cope because there's a lot there. Cause these were black musicians and yes, Billie Holiday had some white people that were traveling with her, but these were some, this was fringe society who, but for their talent, the world would care less. Like the, the people that were paying to see their talent would care less about them, but for their talent. You know what I mean? Um, so I think it's, it's important that we, it's important that we pay attention to stuff like this. The, um, or at the very least that we suss that out a little more. That said, this was a two hour and eight, what was it? Two hour and, oh shucks. I can't call how long it was. Daggone, oh, hour and 30 minutes. Why did I feel like it was longer? I don't know why I'm on Wikipedia and saying it's an hour and 30 minutes. This thing was like, I took a break at an hour, at like an hour. This thing was like two hours. So I don't know why it's saying an hour and 30. It is definitely not an hour and 30. Anyway, um... It's like 2.06. Definitely. It's like, yeah, it's like 2.06, something like that. I don't know why I said 1.30. Anyway, but my point is, again, this is one of those two-hour films that even though it was two hours, there's still a whole lot that they put in here. Mind you, I think that they could have crafted it a little bit differently, but nevertheless, there's only but so much that even in a two-hour film, you can cram in there, and there's just no way for them to go really deep into the whys of drug culture in the musician world or, or drug use in the musician, the musician world in that time, no more than they can talk about the why behind drug use in the music industry now or in the eighties. Um, <clears throat> there's a, there's a lot to unpack there, but so I, but I did appreciate kind of seeing that it wasn't just Billy all by herself. It was Billy being enabled and Billy doing um drugs with other people other musicians had struggles of their own um and it was a thing i did also appreciate how nasty the villains were shown because they were nasty um specifically um shooting i already forgot his name uh harry anslinger anslinger specifically is the big bad in this film and he really is the big bad in this film 
Um, I wish he would have, I wish they would have gone even further to show all of the different ways that they tried to harass um, Billy and then, and then in fact, showing them harassing other people, like a nod to him harassing other folks. Obviously he made an example out of Billy Holiday, but I just, for context, I wish there were kind of some other points added in, t- in here in terms of what was happening in the world. Um, for instance, he, um, Harry Anslinger vilified and, and persecuted Billy Holiday for being an addict. But on this other side, at the same time, uh, what's her name? What's her name? She played, oh, Judy Garland. Was it Judy Garland? Judy Garland was an alcoholic. And at the same time that Billie Holiday was struggling heavily with her addiction to um, heroin, uh, Judy Garland was struggling heavily with alcoholism at that same time frame. And was it Judy Garland or was it someone else? It was another famous star and I think I'm messing them up, but I get, my point remains the same that Judy Gar, or that this white, this big time white actress was white and that Billie Holiday was black and that their vices were different. But nevertheless, he allowed her, instead of, vil- instead of villainizing this big time white actress, sh- he helped to keep her usage, her, her overindulgences, um, her binging and all of that stuff secret and would uh, whisk her away to drug treatment facility or alcohol treatment facility. But Billie Holiday was arrested, continuously so. Um, And I would have liked to see that in the film. So I guess I'm moving to what I didn't like. Um, I also, I did not like the fact that How can I explain this? It felt like all trauma all the time on Billy and no trauma on anyone else. There literally was a gay man, or I don't know how uh, Miss Freddie identified, but I mean, it's clear, Miss Freddie, they were obviously identified as being queer. There was no trauma on anyone else. Again, I told you Lester Young was there and Lester Young was was a heroin user himself. There was no nod to the trauma of anyone else. No, no one else's trauma was on the forefront except for this one instance where um, Billy was, I guess this, the movie is telling the story about where she got the idea to play, to sing Strange Fruit because she um, got off the bus because back in the day there, there weren't a lot of rest areas and plus when you were on the road, like there weren't a lot of places that were friendly to black folks. So they literally stopped on the side of the road and she was going to use the restroom in the bushes, but that she heard something and, and decided to explore it and stumbled upon um, a lynched person, a lynched black uh, person and their family crying and mourning their, their um, passage. And anyway, she was so distraught and so devastated that that's where she got the, that's where she got the, um, the gumption basically to sing the song. Um, but outside of that, which that story isn't totally true, which I'll get to later, but anyway, outside of that, we really don't see trauma 
toward anyone else except her. Not that I wanted to see Miss Freddie being traumatized or Lester Young being traumatized or anyone else, any other black person being traumatized. It's just, I understand that it was the United States versus Billie Holiday, but it just felt like, it felt like they really wanted to see, they really wanted you to see how beat down she was. And again, while I appreciate that we have a fuller picture of Billie Holiday and all of the struggles that she went through. I did not enjoy the fact that the most of the trauma was all on her. Um, I also had issues with... Mm, no, I really didn't have any big issues with anything else about production because the rest of it was just about the story and the, the trash people that were in her life, which I'll circle back around to that. But um, yeah, so there were things that I really loved about this thing. There were also things that I did not like, which I've shared. Um, and so I guess the next thing that I really want to do is spend time kind of hitting the key points and moving forward, uh, like hit, hitting the context behind certain aspects of the story. So I've already hinted that there's actually a different story behind the Strange Fruit song that she loved to sing. Um, I will also, I think I've already talked about this because, you know, I record this thing in parts, but I'll give it again. Um, no, I have already talked about this. So I, I won't talk about the why she left Baltimore. But um, I will talk about um, yeah, there's there's three other things that I want that I want to talk about uh, to give context. Uh, well, three things that I want to talk about that need context, one of which I can't provide, but I will go into detail about kind of what I'm looking for. So in the next segment, um, hopefully, again, hopefully by now you've watched it. If not, I hope you will watch it at some point. And then I will uh, direct you to some resources, um, or not necessarily resources, but other media that talk about Billy and her life. So in the next segment, now we're talking about the context behind some of the story. All right, so before I get into the key facts, I did just look up right quick um, the statistics for Hulu, and I guess I missed this, but at its release, and this is what, now this is the wiki page, so you take it with a grain of salt, Um, but the film, at its release on the 26th, um, what does it say? Oh, oh, uh, Samba TV. I don't know what Samba TV is. Anyway. Uh, 287,000 households watched the film on um, Hulu. Oh, I guess, oh, Hulu report, I should read. Hulu reported the film was most watched, was the most watched title over its three-day release. Its first three days of release. I can't read. Uh, <laughs> over its first three days of release with Samba TV estimate, estimating, there it is, estimating that 287,000 U.S. Ho- households watch this thing. Um, that's a lot, right? I, I don't know. <laughs> Couldn't call it. Um, I swear, it keeps saying the runtime is 1.30. I swear I watched a two-hour film. I swear I did. Anyway, um, but that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, I guess. 
so let me let's let's hit the key let's hit the high notes okay so that i think what i will start with is the mm, where do i want to go i will talk about two things and if a third pops up then i'll pop that i'll talk about that but the, the two things that i definitely want to talk about is how she came to sing the song strange fruit and all of the the things around that and two i will talk about uh i want to talk about her tragic end because there's some detail that needs to be teased out in that because in the film if you've watched that thing um well i mean backing up you know there's only but so much you know that you can put in a film that'll actually make it in there because you know that the editing process is a thing um, and, and some things are just left off in the editing process. Then there's a whole bunch of producers on the thing. And then the estate probably has a thing or two to say. I don't know if that was the case here. Um, cause certainly I think there's some creative, creative, uh, what is it? Artistic, uh, license here because it's not as if this is based on her story. This is based on a book, uh, by John Har Harry, Harry. Um, entitled Chasing the Scream, The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs, which was a, had a totally different premise. Um, which, yeah, it was basically using, you know, her as an example, but like there are other examples in there. Um, hold on, I'm just... Yeah, there was, yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole other thing. And she just happened to be... What we know is that Billie Holiday happened to be one of the most high profile casualties of this failed war on drugs but nevertheless she's not she's not there's millions of millions sitting in jail to, uh, there's maybe not millions but thousands sitting in jail today as a casualty of this failed war anyhow um so but let me start by going to the one that i the first thing that i wanted to point out strange fruit it is considered apocryphal that, well, the film implies that Billie Holiday was the writer of Strange Fruit. She is not. Billie Holiday was introduced to the song by, the, the writer of the song was a Jewish freedom fighter. Um, freedom writer? Freedom writer. One of those folks that uh, got on the bus, one of those northern folks that got on the bus and went down south to help get people, uh, get black folks registered to vote, protect their voting rights. And and generally speaking, I don't know if they were all legally connected, meaning that they had legal backgrounds, but there were definitely some training that they undertook in order to make sure that or underwent whatever that made uh, in order to make sure that they were effective when they would go down there. That was the whole point of the Freedom Rides. Um, to make sure that these, you know, folks were educated when they were going down there so that they could stand in the stand in the gap in the way that made sense for the people they were trying to support. Anyhow, so he, as the story goes, and I can't even call the name of the person. Hold on. I imagine if you were smarter than me and you took the time to look up the song Strange Fruit, um, which I'm about to do just now, um, that, oh, here it is. Abel Mirapool. The song was written by Abel Mirapool, who's a poet, um, working under the pseudonym Lewis Allen. Like, I don't know. What's the difference? Like, 
Lewis Allen, maybe maybe Mirpool obscured somehow. Maybe he changed his pen name because it obscured his heritage somehow. Um, anyhow, um, yeah, he. Oh, he was a communist. <laughs> okay, so communist. He was a communist in the um, 30s, um, which was a big deal because look up U.S. history and that whole witch hunt with McCarthy. Um, McCarthy and then McCarthy bred, what's that, Roy Cohn, who was a tyrant um, and definitely self-loathing. Um, person, but that's another conversation for another day. And actually, someone else needs to have that conversation because there are layers there that I am not qualified to talk about. Anyhow, um, so long story short, so you know, Abel Mirapool under the pen name of Lewis, what, what, what was it? Lewis Allen uh, wrote it, and the story goes that he um, came that he somehow came in, got an audience with, um, with Billie Holiday. Um, and that, and again, it's a little bit apocryphal. The whole, the whole thing is, is a little mysterious because certainly at this point, uh, Abel Mirpool does not, he's not alive anymore. Billy's not here to tell her story either, but the story goes that he got an audience with her and convinced her over a series of conversations to sing the song um and that she was initially um how can i put it she was initially she wasn't interested in singing the song but um through his conversations and then the fact that she had what it what is clear is that she did have an incident where she she and her uh musicians were touring and they were in the South and they took a bathroom break. And back in those days, there weren't rest stops and things like that. And even if there were, a black person couldn't, couldn't go to them. So she goes into the woods or she goes into the, the high, the tall grass and tries to relieve herself, or maybe she does. And in, and finishing up and come, wanting to come back to the, um, the bus, something catches her eye and that something is, a somebody who is, um, who has been lynched. Um, but that's not to say that she wasn't introduced to that song. And then that, and then she saw that, that horrific sight. It was more one of those things where she had seen it more than once and it had left an indelible impression on her. And the, at the chance to sing the song, she, she did not necessarily jump at it, but she, with hesitation, took it because she then took it on as her responsibility to make sure that she was being that that mouthpiece for all of the victims of that terrible crime. Um, and so she recorded the song. And the story goes that it's not that she would sing it as the first thing uh, that she would do in her set. She The story goes that she would close her sets. When, once she got a hold to it, she recorded the thing. Once she got a hold to it, um, she would always close her sets with it. And it's not like she did it once or twice. It was a routine for her to close all of her sets. She would not finish her set unless she had the right, unless she could do the song. And in singing the song, she wanted total quiet. 
and she wanted something, you know, she wanted total quiet. She didn't want, she didn't, I don't know if she didn't play with the band. Now th- this I can't call. Um, but she definitely, I, in my mind, when I was listening to the, um, the, uh, uh, through line story about it, it gave me the sense that, you know, she wanted reverence and respect paid to, to the people that she was singing about in the song. And so I think in one instance, perhaps that she would have the pin light, the spotlight on her, um, so that she could sing it. I don't know, but, um, yeah, so she began to sing that song. And so again, in the film, it kind of gives you the sense that one particular time the feds were in the audience and she was singing and she looked beautiful and all of that. And she started to sing the song. She came out and noticed that the feds were in the front and on the sides and like they were everywhere. But that would, she started the show with that song. And I imagine that's for a dramatic effect because again, what we are told is that she ended her sets with this song. Um, and that, but what am I doing anyway? Um, but what is true is that she was targeted for singing that song for the same reason that was stated in the movie that she was inciting, she would be inciting a riot. And if you recall, freedom of speech wasn't something that we could, um, it wasn't as accessible in those days as it is today, even though we still have gray areas and issues um, or defending our freedom of speech. But they weren't, the lines were clearer and the freedoms were more restrictive back in the 20s and 30s. Well, the 30s when she was singing this. Um, And so, you know, um, she was actually 40s. Yeah, yeah, it would have been a four. It would have been the forties. Um, anyway, um, so yeah, so when she was trying to sing, when she would try to sing the song, it was perceived as if she was inciting a riot because of what she was talking about. Um, and so yeah, so that's what one of the reasons why she was attacked. The uh, well. I guess I guess you would say the main reason that she was attacked because she wanted to she dared to speak out using her voice. But then the next part of why she was was attacked um, or targeted by the feds was because of her um, addiction struggles. And so now we come to she was arrested several times, several times uh, because she was an addict. Now, in the film, she makes certain statements like, don't, you know, don't put me in jail. Like she, the character of Billie Holiday, makes several statements that are modern interpretation and certainly not something that I think she said or she was known to have said um, in public. Uh, Hold on, I'm trying to look just to verify, but I just, it felt, it felt very... um, it felt very modern. There was one particular time. Yeah, there was one particular time that she said don't uh, when she was going to court. I think it was the first time she was going to court um, in the film. You know, don't don't jail me. Hospitalize me. I need help. I'm an addict. She didn't say it. she was an addict. But um, but yeah, so she was arrested 
She was arrested the first time in May 16, 1947, um, in New York, in her apartment in New York. And in the movie, she was set up by Jimmy, um, which is true. Um, and then she was arrested again. Um, hold on. There's... Yeah, she was arrested. She was arrested in 1940. Um, she was arrested in 1947 and she was convicted, but she was released. She was convicted and she went to prison. Um, but then she was, um, I think it was the, the Alderson Federal Prison Camp in West Virginia, which is why I don't, I don't know why she was sent to West Virginia if she was arrested in New York. If the crime was committed in New York, why were you sent to West Virginia? But maybe it's because she was a they wanted to punish her and keep her away from family. Um, anyway, so she was arrested. She was arrested and did her time um, and then got out in March of 48. So less than a year um, did she spend in the, in the uh, slammer. And then um, she came out and, of course, she did the uh, Carnegie tour or the, the Carnegie show. And then uh, she was arrested she was arrested another time I cannot remember I'm trying to find it dang it I'm trying to find it I can't anyway she was arrested again but we uh, but what's true is in that um, in that uh, in that situation she was um she was vindicated. She was not, she was vindicated because she was set up basically. Um, anyhow, so she was vindicated, but she was, uh, she was arrested twice. Um, so let's come to the end then. So, you know, she did have, she, she did do the, what was it? The cover of, uh, not jet magazine, but it was Ebony magazine. Um, Essence. No, not Essence Magazine. Essence Magazine wasn't a, a thing back then. She did do a cover of a magazine where she was talking about her drug use. And of course, again, back in those days, it was definitely blaming it on them. And even today, we still kind of blame it on on uh, folks who are dealing with addiction. Um, but nevertheless, she did go on the tour where she was trying to um, improve her image. But nevertheless, she was still... And she was still struggling. She didn't get the treatment that she needed. Um, and so, yeah, so so she continued to struggle with her addictions, um, with addiction between 48. She was clean for a while, but between um, 48 and... Hold on, I'm trying to get this timeline together. Um, between 48, yeah, yeah, between... Well, drug use... And abusive relationships, which what we know about trauma is that if you are not treating trauma with medical intervention, that is to say that you talk therapy um, or some sort of you're not you're not working with a mental health professional to help guide you through that trauma um, and to deal with it in an appropriate manner. We know that folks will self-medicate. And so what she was doing clearly in the 50s was self-medicating. Um, and though she was, she got out in 48, she was clean for a while. 
she began to use drugs and drink again, largely because of her toxic relationships that she engaged in with men. It was already a weird time um, for relationships in that women did not have freedoms to... I'm not going... You get the, you get the idea. And... and <laughs> She was just in terrible relationships. Not that all the relationships in the 50s were terrible for women. It's just she was in bad, she was in bad relationships with, with men who were trash. And then coupled by the fact that there is a... Billy was probably queer. Not probably. Billy was queer. She was at the very least bi. By her relationship, she was bi. And not being able to realize those relationships probably played a toll as well. I don't want to assume anything about her life but it would stand to reason that she was linked the the Tallulah Bankhead link was real um Tallulah Bank Tallulah Brockman Bankhead um being an American actress and socialite um well to do but also queer um and she wasn't you know they She was not able to, I'm sure, not able to realize that relationship. And it was an interracial, interracial gay relationship. Like, let's be real. Like, to be able to realize that and be in peace and people not mess with her? Come on. Come on. They were jailing people for being gay uh, back in the day. So anyway, um, I'm sure she was dealing with a lot of trauma from her childhood. Certainly what she's seen as a black woman and certainly how she was treated in relationships, right? Not what she'd seen, what she experienced as a child. Remember her mother, um, and even actually it wasn't her mother. I thought it was her grandmother. Anyway, she was introduced. She, she was victimized at a very young age. She was taken advantage of it as a very young age. Um, and that trauma, followed her all of her life and certainly the relationships she was engaged in were worse were terrible for her as well um okay um so let me move to her actual end so her she struggled with drug use most of her adult life and certainly in the 50s it was drug and alcohol abuse so at the end of the 50s in 1959 holiday was diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver which was basically hold on it's basically a condition that still exists today um oh gosh i'm looking at a picture do yourself a favor Google cirrhosis if you want. Um, cirrhosis is spelled with a C. So C-I-R-R-H-O-S-I-S. Um, Google it at your peril. I'm looking at a picture and somebody with cirrhosis of the liver, liver, one of the characteristics, I guess, is that you have a distended stomach. And so this person looks, this person's stomach is like protruding almost as if they're pregnant, but like this isn't a pregnant belly. Um... And anyway, so something she was she was diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver, um, and she was also still very much using, um, and so a combination of her already being sick and then using, of course, put her body in a poor state, um, and so she was hospitalized. Um, on May 31st, 
1959, um, for uh, not only her liver disease, but now then she developed a heart disease. Um, but that punk Aslinger, uh, Anslinger, um, was, who was still targeting her, decided that he was going to send, and this is true in the film, he was going to send agents to stop her from getting any excess treatment, and they were also going to charge her with narcotics use. They, they tried to plant drugs on her, um, and they did. We found that they did uh, plant drugs on her because, again, he just really wanted to make an example out of her because he was hateful um, and just a terrible person. But let me tell you why she died. The long and short of it is they just say that she died because she was just in a poor state and that these bums had the nerve that as she lay dying, she was handcuffed, which is true. But the reason why she died is because they took her off of methadone. At Anslinger's request, they took her off of methadone because, again, she was actively using. So what the the doctors intended to do was keep her on methadone and allow her to to convalesce in the hospital or at least allow her to be stable so that she can do, so that they can treat her um, for her other issues. She had a weakened heart. She also had liver disease, right? So there was a number of things that she was dealing with and the fact that she was still high and she needed to be on the methadone to at least maintain her wellness enough to be able to be treated. But they took her off of the methadone and then she developed jaundice. She was weak and she was ill. So they took her off of methadone. It was a shock to her system. And that's what she was essentially allowed to just die in the hospital. That's why she died. Not that she went in there and they treated her poorly. The doctors were, as it goes, as the story goes, the doctors were trying to treat her but the that Anslinger and his people and his uh, feds would not allow her to be to get the care that she needed, and she died. Now that is a criminal case. That is a civil case if I've ever seen one. Um, certainly in these days, this day and age, they would the Anslinger and anybody associated with it, plus the hospital, their sue the pants off of them if that were to happen today. But yes. Um, the other thing is what they don't tease out, what they don't tease out was the fact that there were, yes, there were people setting vigil, um, but there was a, there was a, basically a vigil led by a pastor, um, a black pastor who, too, who also was using Lady Day as, um, an example but as an example, saying, look how they doing her. This is how they treating people who have an addiction issue. This was so this was the st- this was like full swing of the war on drugs. And so at the very beginning, we had advocates for people who were the victims of this terrible war. Right. And so they even barred him from going in and it, at the very least counseling her spiritually. Um, I don't know if he was her pastor, but he was definitely a pastor. Um, and so, yeah, the whole situation was just pitiful to begin with. And the FBI killed, they allowed her to die. They contributed to her death. Not only did they antagonize her in her life, but they antagonized her to death, blocked her from treatment. And I believe, so she went into, she went into the hospital in May on, she was admitted on May 31st, but it took, she passed away on July 17th. 
So she was in the last months of her life, last three-ish months of her life, were spent in a hospital whittling away and not being properly taken care of. Um, she was 44 years old. And the people in her life, not, not Miss Freddie and her other loved ones, but the men in her life, got her for all of her riches. She died at 44, penniless. She had 70 cents in the bank. That is tough. So while they didn't get the whole story right, I'm glad that they got the fact that I'm glad that they told this story, even if it wasn't perfect. Because the fact remains, Billy deserved a heck of a lot more than what she got. And that end was more tragic than you could ever know. And her life, those last, what, decade, that last decade of her life was filled with very high highs and extreme lows. Poor relationships, bad business deals, jail, prison, abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse. And then she would self-medicate. And one of the things that really just really gets me is that nobody, not only did Anslinger not get in trouble for how he harassed her, but he got a promotion and, and, reti- and got to retire with honors and high praise at the end of his, ter- at the end of his career. That's pitiful to say the very least. It's pretty pitiful. Um, so yeah, so the film, yeah, the film with all of its flaws, it's still pretty good. I would encourage you to watch it. Um, I've got others. I got another musician, um, story that I want to tell, um, next week. And I think I will tell it. Um, and I just, I'm appreciative of these movies and docs that are coming out. Um, this is a good time for stories about people that are interesting to me and aspects of their stories are more interesting to me. You know what I mean? Like somebody that we know, but giving a, uh, an alternate look, not an alternate look, but a different perspective of who you thought they were. And so, especially musicians, because they just fascinate me. Um, and so, yeah. So, well, you know what I'm gonna watch. I'm watching the the biggie. I got a story to tell, so I'll talk about that. But I love that it's not a movie because the movie told the story as best it could. I've got a lot to say about him, though, because he's a complicated person, much like Billy. Complicated, just in different ways. There are aspects of his story that I'm sensitive to, much like the aspect I'm I'm sensitive to Billy's being abused and the trauma that she experienced and the untreated trauma. Um, 
I'm sensitive to that. And that's one of the reasons why I, I celebrate her the way I do, because man, she went through a lot, but at gave a lot at the same time. And while her end was not what it should have been, I hope that we can continue to honor her the way that we should honor her. There's a statue erected here in Baltimore, as I mentioned um, earlier in this episode. There's a statue erected here in Baltimore at the corner of Lafayette and um, Pennsylvania Avenue, where across the street from the Royal Theater. One of these days, the Royal Theater will be up and running again. But until that point, we should honor her. At, her, at at every chance that we get, honor her legacy, because it's a beautiful one. And then also do all that we can to continue to stop the victimization of folks who have addiction issues. Who are addict, yeah, who have addiction struggles. And also just genuinely, generally speaking, Make it okay for folks to go get help and support. Um, And even if I didn't work in the field that I work in, I would still say that. Because, I, yeah, I I would still say it to this day. Everybody needs to the chance to heal from their wounds, even if there are wounds you can't see. Especially if there are wounds you can't see. Because that tends to mean that we suffer in silence and we shouldn't. No one should suffer in silence. So if you need help or if you know someone that needs help, there are a number of different places you can reach out to. Um, Talkspace is a good place. NAMI.org is a good place, too, to find help and support. Um, Google them. NAMI is, a a, for for the U.K. listeners uh, of this show, NAMI is a, a U.S., organization, but I imagine that there's a counterpart in the UK. Um, and I would encourage you to reach out to them. Um, yeah, that is it for now. Um, there are so many life updates that I have that I will share at some point. Maybe I'll share in next week's episode. I'm not hundred percent sure, but for now, please take care of yourself. Take time for yourself. Take a moment to breathe, take a nap if you need it. Take a day off, go for a walk with your mask on and take care of yourself because you can't take care of anyone else if you're not well. All right, that is the show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for liking um, and leaving me comments. Uh, I read the the positive ones and I appreciate you for doing that. Um, Thank you for sharing this episode with anybody that you think would enjoy it. Um, Because at the end of the day, this is still a hobby for me. But it's a hobby that I enjoy doing, and you help me to spread the reach of the show by simply just sharing it. Um, so thank you in advance for sharing. Until next time, have a great day. <laughs>